Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Alan Clark and his version of Born to Run that's on his new Sideshow um, Solar Recordings collection that's out now. And I've got an amazing privilege of Alan being with us today and actually he will be on the next two Strange Brew Podcasts. This first show will have a few of those excellent solo recordings but also playing a range of tracks associated with the Clark Hicks and Nash years. So let's hear from Alan and Born to Run and into the 60s with the Hollies, of course. The first track that we're uh, playing on the uh, Alan Clark podcast is Born to Run, and that's from the new re-release of the Sideshow Collection, which is the new RPM Cherry Red uh, double CD 
do an absolutely fantastic version of Born to Run. I mean, wow. <laughs> well, you're the first person who's ever said that to me. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, there you go. I'm sure that's not the case. I mean, I sort of introduced to Bruce Springsteen's music uh, back in the sort of early 70s uh, when he was like more or less coming on the scene. Mm. And um, I went into Chapel Music where a friend of mine was running the publishing in that company. And he said to me, I've got this guy from America. They just sent me quite a few of his songs over. And he's, I think he's going to be quite, quite big. So I said, well, you know, uh, let's, let's hear it. So uh, we sat down and uh, he put the tape on. Like two hours later, after listening to some brilliant, brilliant music, I more or less said, wow, uh, is there any chance of having any of these songs? And he said, well, there's, there's nothing planned as yet for him to bring anything out, but I suppose it would be okay. Uh, so I chose three songs that I liked at that particular time, which uh, which was uh, Born to Run, uh, Sandy, mm. and uh, a, a, a very unknown song called If I Were the Priest. She's great. Uh, which I don't think that uh, he ever put on an album, ever. And, uh, well, I was just sort of knocked out with the sound and, and the energy of, of Born to Run. I mean, it made me actually want to sing it. I really wanted to do that track, so... I took it into the studios and I recorded it and I was very, very pleased with the outcome. I took it to EMI that says, hey, great, uh, good job. Mm. And uh, and then they sat on it, more or less. Oh. Um, it was all ready to be released as a single. Uh, they went on strike. For three That's years. the 70s. Yeah, they went on strike. And when they came back, uh, unfortunately for me, Bruce had brought his out. Mm. So there really was, uh, it was me against him, and, and obviously he won. So that was my uh, my doing of uh, Born to Run. And that's from the new uh, re-release of the uh, Sideshow collection as well? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That is on actually one of the albums uh, which I oh, did in it? America with Spence Proffer. Yeah. I've got time, yeah. That's got three of your albums from... 73 to 76, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I started recording uh, solo albums in 1972. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that one was with Polydor. Mm. Uh, so the Headroom was sort of the first with the, the EMI. So, I mean, the three albums were uh, virtually all different. The, the first one I sort of produced myself in a, in a very sort of loose way. You know, I wanted to make an album with my mates, uh, which which I, I did, make more or less. I think, I think it gives you the... Uh, you know, you can actually listen in music that we're just having a good time. Yeah. In all ways. <laughs> the, the second track uh, that I chose for the podcast was actually um, a song that the, the Hollies remade, which is, in terms of researching this show, um, I hadn't heard it before, but it's amazing. It's Evie Sands, I Can't Let Go. Oh, been... right. Yeah, well, that was, that, was a, you know, that was one of our hits in the 60s. It was one of the songs that Tony Hicks found because he was the type of guy that used to go around all the publishers' offices looking for songs, and, uh, and he brought this one in. Again, it was sort of instant with us, uh, with, with the rest of the guys, and we thought, yeah, let's lay it down. And, of course, our, our producer uh, did a, a very, very good job on, on it. And, mm. and, well, you know, it was a huge hit. Uh, but one of the things that came out of that was that Paul McCartney thought that Graham's part at the beginning <laughs> of the song was a trumpet. Wow. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> It was Graham. But yeah, it was, it was a big hit for us, and, and I, I, I love that song. We used to do that a hell of a lot on our tours.
It's interesting going back. Is it true that uh, it was you and uh, Graham that kind of you two um, go back way to your sort of childhood days and that formed the core of the Hollies? Um, well, it, it was the furthest thing from our minds when we met each other when we were six years mm. old. Yeah. Uh, at a school in Salford called Oxford Board. And I had nowhere to sit when, my, when I was taken to the school for the first time. And Graham put his hand up and said, well, you know, why don't you come sit next to me? Which I did. And that, that was the beginning of, uh, of a friendship uh, which has gone on until now. Yeah. You know, we used to sing at school together. Uh, we went to the, a lot of, like a lot of uh, clubs. Uh, like we, we ended up at the Salford Boys Club, which is quite a well-known thing now in Salford. Uh, a, a lot of guys mm. that are now in bands that remember the Salford Boys Club. But, you know, we used to do, uh, we went in a, in a minstrels band and sang there. And, and in between, like the age of uh, 14, when Skiffle came on the scene, uh, and we both like fell in love with the Lonnie Donegan sound. And, and I suppose that happened with a, a hell of a lot of kids in England. It gave kids the opportunity to be able to pick up a guitar, learn three chords, mm. and sing skiffle. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a very exciting time, and uh, and we had got uh, uh, ooh, at least twenty skiffle songs together uh, when one day when we were rehearsing in my brother's uh, sweet shop uh, in Salford, he said to us, "Well, you know, you sound pretty good. Why don't I take you up to a club?" Uh, where they, they have acts on and, and see if they'll give you a spot. Mm. Well, you know, at 14 years old, short trousers, <laughs> uh, all that sort of thing, he took us up to the, the Devonshire Sporting Club in Salford. And uh, we went on and we, we sang like uh, oh, Cumberland Gap, uh, Bring a Little Water, Sylvie, you know, all, all, the, all this, about four skiffle songs. And we came off and uh, we, you know, obviously we went down very, very well. I think it's because we were kids in short trousers. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't a sympathy. Uh, the guy said that was great, you know, and gave us like 10 bob mm. between us. In those days, that was five old shillings, between, you know, each. And and said, if, will you come back tomorrow and, and do some more of my other clubs? And that was the start of Graham and I sort of uh, getting even more interested in music. And that went on until we actually turned into the Hollies. Your early singles were covers of some of the sounds of from America. Yeah, well, most most of the groups, you know, when rock and roll came in, mm. uh, most of the groups were, were were doing the songs of the American singers at that particular time and and ignoring what was happening in England, and and that's where the sort of the the very rough sound, the Liverpool and the Manchester sound, came into being really. You know, we're doing a lot, a lot of songs like Sam and Dave and Twist and Shout. I mean, you know, the Beatles weren't the only people that were doing that song at a particular time. Mm. Uh, but out of that combination of, uh, of, of, of doing music sort of in, in a live situation with no echo and, and it had energy. And, and that's really what sort of made it explode and come onto the scene with, with the Beatles getting there first. Yeah, and um, you you mentioned Tony before. Was he because obviously as um, you, as you became established, um, took on songs by other writers. Is that true? Is that stuff like I'm Alive, which was a big yeah, massive? Yeah, hit? well, at the beginning, um, we we really weren't writing any songs at all. You know, we we, we were doing B sides and things like that. And it wasn't until we actually wrote a song called We're Through, mm. which uh, Ron Richards thought it was good enough for an A side. So that's really where it all set off for Graham and I and Tony in writing our own stuff. After that, you know, I mean, let's not forget, we weren't the type of writers that would turn down um, a song which was, was good for us at any particular time. Yeah. And that's when, like, Yes, I Will came in and I Am Alive and all the ones that sort of went in between the, the, the carry-ans and the carousels and the mm. Jennifer Records. Uh, so, you know, we weren't the type of group just to turn down songs and, and wanting to put our own stuff out uh, because we thought, you know, it was better. We, we were very sort of loose uh, in, in, in accepting things like that. Absolutely. Let's hear the Rokes, who were an English band, but went over to Italy, and um, their version of I'm Alive called Grazie a te. Conoscevi un uomo senza cuore 
song is um, the Everly Brothers Hard Hard Year and uh, from Two Yanks in England and a fair chunk of that album is credited to L Ransford. Yeah well I mean at that particular time again the record companies were saying to us that our names were too long to get onto the record you know it was Clark Hicks and Nash and uh, and so what we said what we, we, we said to Graham well what should we do and Graham says well let's put my grandpa's name down and it was which was L Ransford Oh, okay. and, and, and that's what it is Still got paid. <laughs> I, I assume the Everly Brothers were a massive influence, especially on the harmonies. Oh well, you know when Graham and I first heard the the Everly Brothers, uh, we went. You know, we used to go out dancing every Saturday night, and uh, we went this club, the favourite club of ours, uh, and we walked through the door, and and all of a sudden we heard this song called Bye Bye Love, wow. and the guitars, and, and and again the energy in that song. We thought, hey, wow, there, there is somebody out there doing it the way we are, because mm. we, we sort of felt then that you know we we were a part of the Every Brother's sound, uh, only English, and uh, we made that part uh, of, of of our uh, of our repertoire when we went out uh, because we could do it so well, and. Um, Funnily enough, you know, later on in life, we did get to meet uh, the Everly Brothers. And, yeah. Um, and which, uh, well, actually, the first meeting that we had, we heard that they were on in Manchester mm. at the Free Trade Hall. And obviously, Graham and I thought it was the most important things in our life to get to see these guys. So, you know, we queued up and we got tickets and uh, we saw the show, which was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, and we decided uh, later on that we'd we try and find the hotel where they were staying. And one of the hotels in Manchester uh, was the Grand Hotel, which where all big stars used to say. So we went to there and we, we stood outside the hotel and we were there for about three and a half hours. Wow. Uh, and then about one o'clock in the morning, uh, the Everly Brothers came walking up the road. <laughs> and, and they stopped and we chatted with them for about half an hour. You know, we said, hey, you know, we're two kids that love your stuff and, you know, we more or less do all of your songs on stage. And uh, as I say, you know, they said to us, well, hey, guys, you know, keep on doing it. One day you may make it. You never know. <laughs> and, well, that was it. Wow. Who would have thought that all yeah. the years later that we'd be in a studio actually recording, so recording songs that we'd written and they were singing them. Yeah. Hence the, the album Two Yanks in England. Wow. I mean, I think that that was one of the best times in my life. 
songwriting that um, you did um, seemed to really sort of bring a, a maturity uh, into the group of the sound which seemed to set you apart to many other acts who kicked off in 63 and 64 which kind of fell by the wayside especially in uh, Merseyside yeah the next track is such a, an example which is stop 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 and uh, the, the reason I've picked that is just because of the incredible production on that record well I think it was one of the first pop songs that had a banjo on it mm. You know, uh, obviously with uh, with with that slap echo on it, but that particular song, where we were in New York, uh, we were playing a big theatre there, and uh, the chap who was running the theatre had a club, uh, which he said you should go down there. It's uh, it's a little bit different. It's a Turkish club, and uh, you'll have a good time. And we walked in the club. Tom Jones was there that night, and, yeah. uh, and halfway through the evening, it was a sort of a cabaret. Came. It was like a drinking club. And the cabaret came on, and uh, it was this belly dancer, uh, which we'd never ever seen live before. And uh, it's you know we, we we didn't actually think of the song then, but I, I, you know the the actual idea of singing a song about a belly dancer came into being at that particular moment. And it was much later on that, that we uh, we started writing it, coming or going to Top of the Pops one day, oh. and and the song more or less was finished in the back of a cab. <laughs> and we put that to Ron Richards, and he says, "Hey, we've got something here. Let's work on it." And um, and I think the the banjo that uh, Toby played on that has a lot to do with with making that particular song that little bit different from anything mm. that was around at that particular time. Yeah, and was that one of the songs that really um, kickstarted you in America? Well, that, yeah, uh, that was uh, very successful along with Bustock. Mm. You know. Um, we didn't sort of sell, we should have sold more in America, and I think probably it's because we didn't tour enough at all. You know, we should have gone there more times than we did, really, yeah. and, and, and get the exposure, uh, but we didn't do that. that. That's because we were so busy doing all the other countries where we, like, number one and number two. Mm. Uh, you know, we were very popular in Germany. I mean, we had about 30 number ones in South Africa, wow. but wasn't able to go there because of the apartheid and, mm. until, you know, 
literally recently, or must be about 10 years ago, or maybe more than that, when yeah. the apartheid was lifted. Mm. And um, going to Australia and things like that, you know, we, it was a worldwide thing for us. So uh, I think that maybe we should have gone to America a lot more than we did. Symbols on her fingers entering through the door Ruby glistening from her navel shimmering around the floor Bells are picoting and ling-a-linging going through my head Sweat is falling just like a teardrop's running from her head Now she's dancing going through the movement swaying to and fro Body moving, bringing back a memory, thoughts of long ago Blood is rushing, temperature is rising, sweating from my brow Like a snake, her body fascinates me, I can't look away now Stop, stop, stop all the dancing, give me time to breathe Stop, stop, stop all the dancing, or I have to leave She's moving all around the tables, luring all inside But I know that she cannot see me hidden by the light Closer, closer, she's getting nearer, soon she'll be in reach As I enter into a spotlight, she stands lost for speech Stop, stop, stop all the dancing, give me time to breathe Stop, stop, stop all the dancing, or I'll have to The uh, next track is by an artist called Dana Gillespie. It's Pay You Back With Interest. This version of uh, Pay You Back With Interest is actually arranged by Mike Vickers. I think he worked yeah, on some of your stuff. Yeah, yeah, Mike Vickers, I remember him well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Pay You Back With Interest was one of the best songs, I think, that we uh, that we wrote. Hmm. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I don't think I've heard her version. Okay. No, but I'm going to go on to your podcast and, uh, <laughs> And, and get a listen to that. I was quite surprised when I went on to sort of review, review what you were doing. Mm. That there, there, there was this album that was going to, that was out there that you could buy that had all these different people who had recorded our songs. Yeah. And you know, I'd, I'd forgotten, you know, sitting here in my in, in my home, uh, what other people were doing, you know, out there these days. And I was quite surprised, pleasantly surprised. Uh, that it also made me go back, and then I suddenly remembered that yeah, you know, Paul and Barry Ryan did one of our songs. Yeah, Virtues did one of our mm. songs. There was quite a lot of people that did cover our songs in in that particular time. So yeah, I mean, Pay You Back with Interest was a great song. Yeah, absolutely. Was that a song off for certain because? Yes, I think it is. And I, haven't, I haven't got it in front of me, uh, but you know, I mean, you, you must remember that it was all these things were a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and unless I got them here in front of me, of course, uh, I, because we made so many albums, yeah. and so many songs over the years, you, you, it does make you wonder which song was which on what album. Yeah, I, I think I think that was one of the uh, first albums where you wrote all the songs. Ah, right. Tell me what other songs was on that album, and then probably refresh my memory. I think Have You Ever Loved Somebody was on that one. Ah, right, yes. What's Wrong With The Way I Live, I think, yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Now, now, of course, yeah. Now I know which album it is. Mm. Yeah. A lot of good songs on that. 
Yeah, particularly off that album, there was quite a few albums that, as you were sort of referring to, that were covered by artists of the uh, of of that era, which is yeah. obviously a big compliment if if acts are, are covering some of, of your album tracks. True, true. It, it it did give us a boost. You know, it made us me it made us feel you know that bit, little bit more confident about what we were doing with our songwriting. The next track um, is on a carousel, which yeah. I picked obviously because it's a, a, a fantastic song. But um, one of the other reasons I picked it was because there's some amazing footage on the uh, Holly's DVD. Look through any window of the recording of that track. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I mean it's about three and a half minutes long, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it's a bit too long for me, but I, I suppose it's um, it, it's there to let people see. Uh, that when we actually did record that we were you know that we we were together doing the three harmonies together uh, rather than super layering and things like that. But yeah, on a carousel. I mean, you know, w- when we used to write songs, uh, people, someone would come in with, oh, how about this as, as the start of a song? Mm. And uh, you know, when you do start on something like that, if you haven't got anything going within like you know a half an hour, um, it ain't gonna go anywhere. Yeah, uh, but that was one of those type of songs that more or less, I won't say wrote itself, but 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 came quite easily to us, um, you know, from the ether somewhere. But um, again, it, it, it was it was a song very much in the same sort of uh, as Carrie Ann and mm. Jennifer Eccles. You know, it was one of, it was one of those songs that uh, we more or less thought that yeah, people would like this. This would make people happy. up to you Riding along on a carousel Will I catch up to you Horses chasing Cause they're racing So near so far On a carousel 
I've read that the uh, the Beatles were recording Penny Lane next door at the time. <laughs> Just incredible. Yes, they probably were. They were always next door when we were there. You know, I mean, we used to fight over who would have number two studio in Abbey Road. <laughs> uh, they usually won. Uh, but there you go. I, I recently went back to Abbey Road uh, only last week uh, to, to do a thing uh, there, and it brought back a hell of a lot of memories. Mm. I took my grandson down there and showed him in in the number two studio. This uh, there's a banister which goes down the stairs, stairs, and I used to tell him stories about Peter Sellers coming in and sliding down the banister <laughs> and sort of running towards us because we were doing a record with him uh, about a film that he'd just written called After the Folks yeah. that, that he was in. And we were doing the title film music with Bert Bacharach, which was called After the Fox. Mm. And uh, that was a memorable day. Peter Sellers singing, singing with Peter Sellers. Wonderful. Who is the fox? I am the fox. Who are you? I am me. Are you bringing poor, poor mother grief? So after the fox, after the fox, up to the hunt with chains and rocks. So after the fox, after the fox, someone is always chasing after the fox. On the track. Where's the truck? Ah, I won't tell. You must tell. Then I will lie. You make your poor <laughs> sister cry. So after the fox, after the fox, up to the hunt with chains and locks. So after the fox, after the fox, someone is always chasing after the fox. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a Danish band who are actually nicknamed the Danish Hollies, strangely enough. Uh, they were a band called the Teen Makers, and um, they did a version of an absolutely gorgeous song that I understand that you wrote, Lullaby to Tim. Oh, right. Well, I remember Lullaby to Tim. Obviously, I wrote that about my son. Mm. Um, I did write that on my own. Mm. And uh, the only thing that I, I really hated about that was that um, our producer said Graham should sing it. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> and, strange. And thought, well, why the hell should Graham sing it? Mm. Uh, but he got away with it. That's the, that's the only thing that I, I regret in any of the recordings, that I didn't actually sing a lullaby that I'd <laughs> written for my son. Yeah, and uh, it's got a, a sort of a very 60s effect on the vocal as well. It's, just got, a, it's got a wobble on the vocal, yeah. Mm. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Graham was on something else. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, for me, that's one of the reasons I like the Teen Makers version because it's uh, it's a little bit more simple. Yeah, well, it was a lullaby.
There's actually um, a song, I think, that was released in 1967. It's uh, by a band called The Society, Bird Has Flown. I understand you actually produced it? Yes. We used to have a publicist called Alan MacDougall, and it was his son's band, which they, they asked me to get involved with. And uh, and so I took time out to, to help them with the recording. Unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't do anything, mm. which was a shame. And, and recently, uh, somebody sent me um, a disc from Australia with all the things that I was involved with publishing-wise. Wow. And, and I did actually, on, on listening to it, thought that it was too echoey. But there's a, a lot of echo used in those days. But yeah, yeah. that was, you know, that was just a one-off uh, mm. to help somebody, really. You didn't really produce much else at the time? No. Yeah. No, because, you know, I was busy with the Hollies and things like that. The next track on the podcast is a, a song that I believe you wrote, and it's a version by Nicky James, and the song is Would You Believe, and I think you also covered it, on, well, the Hollies obviously did it, and but you also recorded it for your Headroom album. Yes, I did, um, because at that particular time, I, I, I wasn't uh, with the Hollies, and, and I had decided that the version that I did with them wasn't what I wanted to do with that particular song, because even, even though it's... Uh, it's down to uh, Clark Hicks and Nash. It was one of my songs. Mm. Uh, so I decided that when I was going to do the Headroom album, that I was going to re-record uh, you know, uh, that particular song in the way that I thought it should be done. And I, I, I really do think that I produced a better song. Yeah. Uh, but Nicky James uh, was one of the crowd that used to hang around with us uh, in Hampstead. I lived in Hampstead, and uh, there, was, there was always uh, people around... Uh, that we always got together with and maybe helped each other as songwriters or to get a publishing deal and things like that. Nicky James is one of those guys. Um, yeah, he was he was a friend of my family. Okay. And mind you, I, I don't think I've ever heard his version. Well, here you go. <laughs> this is an opportunity, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, at that particular time, I don't think he probably got a deal. Yeah. I don't think it was ever released anywhere. Mm. Mm. Was it? Um, you can tell me. I think it had. I think it was released as a single on Phillips, but obviously it must have sank. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. There you go. We have then uh, another track off Butterfly, Step Inside, but this time it's by an Irish band called The Strangers. <laughs> we're digging these out. Where, where, where do these people come from? <laughs> yeah, I think... I, I like that song, Step Inside. Yeah. I, I thought that was a, a really good, upbeat uh, song, which could have been, should have been a single, I think. Mm. And uh, in, again, that was a threesome. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a, uh, a great. I thought that should have been a follow-up to something like Bloodstock, you know, mm. or Look Through the Window. Yeah, that sort of feel with it. But there you go. You know, the powers that be said, no, we don't want that one as a single. But there you go. Someone else liked it. Yeah, they saw it as the, their single anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Butterfly album was the last album that you made with Graham. Yes, um, it, it was more or less the album that he took over. Uh, and decided that the songs that he'd written, he wanted to sing and do the harmonies with and things like that. So, you know, we we, we let him have his way because, mm. he, you know, we thought, well, maybe this guy's got something that, that we don't know about. But, um, you know, unfortunately, the, the Butterfly album, okay, was, was all right. You know, he sold very well, but it didn't take us into the stratosphere. No. You know, so I think that Graham, obviously, you know, I've spoken to Graham about this, you know, over in the, when I've been in the states, and you know, at that particular time, he, he was very unhappy with with the group. Really, it wasn't going in the direction that he wanted it to go. But you see, I suppose that Graham got tied up with uh, with guys in America. Well, guys, when I say you know, Crosby and Stills mm. and Neil Young, who we met previous to that in the states when we went over to Los Angeles. I mean, we were all mucking about with each other there, you know, uh, musically. And uh, he sort of fell in love with that particular way of life and, and wanted to be a part of it. Mm. Um, I think he just, I think he tried to do that with us, uh, but it didn't work. You know, we, we weren't a West Coast group. No. And we weren't American. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were just guys that got together and wanted to, wanted to do good music. And I think that came across with most of the hit songs that we had. Mm. Graham wanted more than that. Step inside You can knock on my door Anytime you're passing 
think the last single that you did with Graham was Listen to Me, and I did have the pleasure of um, doing a previous podcast with Tony Hazard, who wrote that song, actually. Uh-huh. There's one song, but I just have to mention it just because I think it's one of my favourite songs by you, Alan, and that's Wings, uh, and that's well, lovely. Thank, yeah, well, George Martin uh, came to us once, and uh, he was doing this album for Wildlife. You know, it was one of these charitable things mm. that Spike Milligan was involved with. And uh, he asked us if we had any songs that would be, you know, that would be good for that type of thing. So we wrote Wings uh, wow. for, you know, for that album and sort of gave it and gave it to the album, of course, you know, because it was charitable. Mm. But, you know, that song later on, I think the Everly Brothers did Wings too. Oh, okay. I'm not too sure, but I know that we did it and we put it on an album. But that song was written for that charity album that uh, George Martin was involved in. by the Hollies and um, you've almost come towards the end of the show and it is a great appropriate point to play one final track from Alan Clark's new sideshow collection on Cherry Red and until next month as we move into the post Nash years see you later but do enjoy this final track from Alan's new CD the next track is off uh, I've Got Time and it's another version of a Bruce Springsteen song this time blinded by the light yeah well that was another one that i'd heard you know and uh and off of bruce it was the choice of spence proffer who was the the publisher because you know it, i left it to him to sort of pick the tunes you know what what we did we uh we collected around 24 songs that you know that, that he wanted to represent my voice as and uh, and we you know we boiled it down to the ones that are on the uh, on the album mm. How can you not want to sing that song? Uh, we we tried to do that a little bit different than Bruce did, but um, I think it's a good cover. 
I enjoyed doing it. Summer with a teenage diplomat 